Welcome to No Teacher Left Behind with Christine Hurt and Natalie McIntosh for humorous musings from the teacher's lounge. Hi, Christine. Hey, Natalie. So I wanted to take a moment to just follow up on the student engagement episode that we did. Awesome. Um, There was a part in there where I referenced something super, super cool and and you asked if I was going to, you know, tell everybody about it. And I said, no. <laughs> okay. <Yes>. So So <laughs> uh, it was that reference to Rhythm of Education. Uh, I forget the dude's name, but it was a a really Whitehead. cool. Oh, dude, you're amazing. Uh, from the back of the turn of the last century, 100 years ago, he was talking about this and had this really cool, like, stages of education with romance and precision and generalization. And, of course... Our nerd brains picked up on that, and we instantly wanted to know more. And you were like, oh, do we get to learn more? And I said, no, not really. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe I can put it off to a later episode. So I was thinking about that, getting ready for this episode. And I was like, do I want to come back to that? Because that was a possible topic we threw out. And I decided no. And here's my reasoning. Um, Yes, I think it's a wonderful thing to like for our little teacher nerd brains to go and pursue But I want to keep and tell me where I'm wrong and tell me if you disagree with me. I will. (laughs) I I have no doubt. Um, (laughs) Just how we operate. True, true. Uh, That the focus of this particular podcast is relevant issues and concerns and everything revolving around the lives of teachers today. And uh, I kind of wrote down this really cool like little blip of it's all about the active pursuit of pr- improving lives of teachers. I love that so much. Oh, do you really? I do. The okay. active, let's see, you got it written down, so I'm going to read it here. The active pursuit of improving lives of teachers. I love that. Yeah, active. I love that as a, as a mission. Yes. And so since, even though this is a really interesting, you know, um, extra topic or a cool thing to read up on as teachers about the romance precision and generalization of education as written down by the dude whose name you remember (laughs) uh i'll do that on my own time but i think you know just for clarity this is what i think what we're trying to do here yeah is bring that conversation that we often have in the teacher workroom bringing it out so that other people can join in this conversation yeah. and maybe it could lead somewhere productive. Yeah. yeah. And so I just wanted to put that out there as my kind of thought process. Yeah. Um, so I will make a reference uh, to this um, publication so that, you know, if your little education nerd brains peaked up also, um, at least you'll know where to find it. Yeah. Because they do have free online PDF versions of it and it's really cool. Yeah. So um, that's an excellent segue into the topic that I have picked awesome. for today, um, which is to talk about A.N. Whitehead's address, The Rhythm of Education. You <laughs> are shitting me. No, but, no, no, but, um, and I will admit off the top here that I have read half of it, oh, um, not the whole thing, and um, and I do plan on my own time to take my little education nerd brain to <laughs> to read the rest of it. I think it's really interesting, but I feel like I wanted to do this as a follow-up to our previous conversation because I read through about half of it and it just sparked some ideas that I think actually are very relevant oh, to nice. teachers today, relevant to the conversation that we had previously, maybe relevant to what you are experiencing right now 
at school with the observations that are based around student engagement mm-hmm. and all of that. Some of them, some of my thoughts are a little bit more uh, bigger picture rather than, you know, boots on the ground kind of stuff. But I think those two things can relate to each other. So I'm just going to get into my well, cool. Well, stuff. maybe the reason I didn't want to do it is because I didn't want to research it. So I'm yeah. glad you did. <laughs> yeah. And I will say it's um, not the world's easiest read. I mean, it's not like, I don't know if any of you uh, love Charles Dickens. And if you do, I'm very sorry. But it's not Charles Dickens <laughs> where it's like every sentence is three paragraphs long and it's just horrible to read. But it's a language of a long time ago, so you have to really be very focused when you're reading it, which is why I read half of it. And maybe keep um, a dictionary. By the table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what yeah, is this word? yeah, and keep as I did a notebook next to you, so you can kind of like write things down and maybe you know follow along. Um, it's it is very dense. You know, he's got a lot okay. going on in that that publication, and but it's also very very interesting. So again, um, A. N. Whitehead. It's titled The Rhythm of Education, and we will have a link to the publication in our um, episode notes so that you can follow up with this on your own if you like. Uh, and one of so he talks about the this rhythm of education, romance, precision, generalization. And one of the things that he makes a point to talk about is that um, I think on first glance, it's almost like there's this, the romance period, the precision period, the generalization period, and they all follow one, two, three, and then done. But he talks a lot about the periodic nature of learning and that these three things come in a cycle. Hmm. And each lesson should come in a cycle. Your semester should come in a cycle. Your lifelong learning should come in cycles. So there's bigger cycles and smaller cycles, different periods. Um, and he relates them to, you know, in a day you have a cycle of work and play, sleep and active time. You know, there are seasonal cycles and you are living through all of these different cycles. And it's the same with with learning. Hmm. And um, he says it's the the conveyance of the, the conveyance of difference within a framework of repetition. It's periodic. Wow, that yeah. is dense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> conveyance <And> of what? <laughs> the conveyance of difference within a framework of repetition. That's what he means by rhythmic. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And so that you're going through these different seasons, these different periods, these different moments, and they're cyclical. Okay. All right. Um, and... Something that brought to mind for me is um, I have a friend who used to be a middle school teacher and she told me one time about how seventh grade is the worst. <laughs> and um, and she said because it's you can't hardly get through any material with them because they're just raging with hormones. Everything is super dramatic for these kids. And so it's hard to get through any content. It's hard to make any progress with instruction because everything is about putting out all of these social fires and helping them to figure out their new selves as they're changing and hitting puberty and coursing with hormones. And one day they hate their best friend and the next day they love their best friend and that sort of thing. And how oh, that- I have something to add here. Yeah. I taught seventh grade math and the defining thing that all I remember is at any given point during the day, a kid would randomly just fall out of his chair. <laughs> 
for no reason whatsoever. It's like the body would just go and he'd just fall over and there's nothing there. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. And I think that sums up the seventh grade experience. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And and I remember my experience of seventh grade. It was really hard because there's all this new social pressure. You're sort of figuring out, you know, um, romantic interests and jealousy in various areas with friends and other classmates and whatever, kind of starting to self-identify. You know, this is huge, tumultuous period of life. And so it often strongly gets in the way of instruction. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself then, and then now in light of this, this idea that's been presented by A. N. Whitehead, um, of why are we swimming against the tide? Why do we have our curriculum set up so that they're supposed to get through the same amount of information in seventh grade that they get through in sixth grade and in eighth grade? Oh. Why don't we say, you know what? Sixth grade's a little bit easier on them socially, so let's get ahead of the game. Seventh grade, we're going to scale back the instruction. Maybe that's when they have classes like, you know, health class with a uh, focus on social interaction Mm. and, you know, um, more time is spent writing and reading about seventh grade life and um and then in eighth grade we put in a little more instruction to kind of catch up or whatever right why are we fighting the natural rhythm the natural period periodic nature of humans and then frustrating ourselves instead of just admitting that seventh grade is a wasteland yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and just way. you just survive it and you get them through it and that's you know that's where we focus on more of the social stuff the getting through the hormonal time letting them kind of be who they are and then fitting the the content and instruction before and after all okay. of that and a little when bit. did he write this like 1940 something yeah yeah so yeah okay yeah and um and i totally agree um yeah. I like to, I liken it, it's like all through elementary school, you got all these little caterpillars. And then in middle school, they dissolve into the goo inside the chrysalis. (laughs) And then hopefully they come out and they start building their strength to get out of that chrysalis so that they can fly away somewhere else. Um, And so, yeah, I've always referenced like middle school as just being the dissolving into the goo and it's messy and it's gross. And I love that idea of not swimming against a stream and it does play into a bigger picture as an educator because there's lots of moments in my classes where I just have to just quit doing the brush stroke upstream yeah. and just kind of get in my inner tube and just float for a while. He's got to ride the stream, <laughs> ride <laughs> like the wave. Metaphor. Yes. I'm just going to continue with this <laughs> metaphor for like the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Just ride that wave. And it goes back also something else, uh, that he talked about in his address and he was talking about, um, I think it's early in the dress and he's sort of talking about why he is, why he's talking about this, why he's making a point to go into such detail about all of this. He says, I do not think that this obvious truth and the obvious truth he's talking about is the sort of romance, precision, generalization, progression of mm-hmm. learning. Um, He says, I do not think that this obvious truth has been handled in educational practice with due attention to the psychology of the pupils. 
And I think that also comes into play. Like if that's the psychology of the pupils right there is that being 12 sucks. <laughs> Actually, right? that was the chapter in the book in my yeah. human growth and development <laughs> yes. class. It was like chapter 12. Yeah, yeah there being you go. 12 sucks. Being 12 sucks. Yeah. And <laughs> and I think it's it feels almost disrespectful to 12-year-olds to not acknowledge what they're going through and how maybe things need to be a little bit adjusted so that they too can survive. Like the teachers need to survive, but the kids need to survive. Yes. And um, do you feel like this phase kind of helps contribute to kids like defining themselves as bad at math or bad at English or bad at science? Cause they have so many possibly more failures during middle school years. And it kind of, since they're so Drama-driven, yeah. maybe? That, yeah. That's where those definitions yeah. come in? Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. And by the way, we got a lot of head nods from our sound engineer. <laughs> yeah. Who is currently a junior in high school. So he's closer in it <laughs> yeah. than I am. That was like 33 years ago for yeah. me. Yeah. But I don't anyway. even want to think about how many years ago. But, okay. <laughs> um, but no, I hadn't quite thought about it that from that perspective or through that lens. But I think that's very possible that, you know, students are... You know, they're just trying to rage through their life, like their actual life, and they've got teachers breathing down their necks mm. to get to work. And they're like, man, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so they want to just quit and they get frustrated and they don't do well because things are overshadowing and they just internalize that. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that observation that that's that's definitely a factor um and then also while i was thinking about that the idea of uh handling all of this in educational practice with due attention to the psychology of the pupils um for me sparked a thought about and this is something i would love to do a whole episode on because i have so many thoughts about it (laughs) um but how teachers are prepared and trained for the profession. Um, And it is my personal opinion that we do it very wrongly. Um, (laughs) And I know that's not a word, but that we're just going to go with that. Uh, I feel like it would serve the profession better to train teachers along more of an apprenticeship model. And, um, And I know that, you know, people who go through we've uh, Natalie and I've talked before about how our entry into the profession was very non-traditional right for both of us but people who go the traditional path they do have student teaching for you know a semester or a year or whatever depending on the program but I don't think that's really satisfying what I'm I'm thinking needs to be satisfied um and rather than having a class on how to prepare a lesson you have a lesson on how to prepare lessons and then you're paired with a master teacher yes, to prepare lessons. And then you watch them do it, you do it with them, and then you do it. It's the, the old uh, I do, we do, you do that right. we are, are taught to use in our own classrooms. Right. Um, I feel like that would be a, a much better model, but that there should be an opportunity for teachers to... Um, teachers to be, teachers in training, to learn about the psychology of students. I mean, I don't, I feel like that's something that I learned on the job versus I feel like that's what would be better front-loaded. That's what you learn ahead of time is 
human behavior, human psychology, how these periods of life work. Like what's going on in puberty? What's going on at the end of puberty in high school? What's going on in early childhood? You know, what that development looks like. Um, I think it probably happens a lot more in for teachers who are preparing to teach younger grades. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with this. I think it would this. be useful for all grades. And, but, yeah. you know, we do in Virginia for licensure, we do have that psychology course that they mm-hmm. make us take. But it is all very theoretical and everything. It'd be really nice to apply those and get our master teachers to explain, you're going to see this in your classroom and here's the psychology behind it and here's what they need and yeah. here's what you can do to support them yes. moving forward. Yes. Thank you. That's You took John? my thoughts <gasps> and made them into words and I really appreciate that. I'm here for you, babe. <laughs> um, and so I, because I feel like if teachers better understood that, and better understood what that looked like in practice when you're working with 7th graders, 10th graders, 12th graders, whatever. Um, what that looks like, what those stages are about. Um, it would better help teachers adapt their lessons, their teaching, their rhythms to that. Yes. Um, rather than them, rather than what happens so often is that teachers have to figure that out by as they go and, error. and trial and error and it takes years to get into that rhythm and to understand it and, and for a long time as a novice teacher I took it personally yes that oh, their yeah. behaviors were either because they didn't like me or they didn't respect me or it was yeah. all about me me, yeah. me 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 and finally I was talking to somebody and they're like wait wait it's not about you yeah it's about the math yeah because that's the topic I teach and uh Having that perspective now kind of eases my brain a bit when behaviors are not in line with what I want in my classroom. I don't take it personally anymore. And now that removes me uh, far enough away, detaches me, distances me, where I can think about the psychology of what's actually going on, what might be motivating the behavior, and what can I do to support them either do I need to talk to them and bring awareness into their behavior and things like that? Or do I just need to be a listening ear and, and say, hey, you know, it looks like you're going through something right now, but there may be a better way to go about this. You know, those um, conversations that we often do not have time oh, to have yes, um, are so important to have because I'm not sure what type of support my students get outside of school in social development yeah. and things. So. Um, these are all very good points. Yeah. And, um, and I think I had a thought and it has escaped me. If it comes back, I will bring it back up, but I'm going to, um, move on to, um, another thing. And this relates sort of directly back to the conversation that we were having last time about student engagement and, um, what you're kind of going through at school with this new, focus on student engagement and observations. And he gets to the point, and this is about halfway through the um, address. It's about where I, I left off. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm reading this, like, there's a lot of information. It's very dry. It's very factual. But still interesting to me. Um, but then he says, I have had to give a dry analysis of somewhat obvious ideas. It is necessary to do so because subsequent because my subsequent remarks are, pres- excuse me, 
It is necessary <laughs> to do so because my subsequent remarks presuppose that we have clearly in our minds the essential character of this threefold cycle. And so he's saying, okay, what's the translation? <laughs> he says, yeah, I'm sorry that, you know, I've had to give you all of this factual, dry, okay. not exciting information. Um, but I needed to do that because we need to have that all fresh in our minds, clearly on the same page while we talk about the next thing. So it's like, I'm sorry I had to give you 150 multiplication table problems, but you're going to need this for what's coming next. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry that I had to go through all of this explanation about the quadratic formula. <laughs> but it's an, it's an important thing you need to know so that we can solve these cool problems that I want to talk about. Got it. You know, and I feel like there's a lot of that in our everyday lessons. There's a lot of that in a unit. Some units just are kind of duds. They're not exciting, but you need that information to get to the cool stuff that comes next. And you talked about that last time, how some lessons are just not exciting, but I got to teach you yeah. the quadratic formula. And, um, and I feel like also we as adults or you know, not us personally, because we weren't there when he gave the address, but the people he was addressing were assumed to bring their own motivation. You want to hear about this. It's not my job to get up here and entertain you. I, we got to get through this dry stuff. Right. And then we can get through the maybe more meat and potatoes or new uh, ideas about it. And if as adults, I mean, that happens all the time as an adult. If as adults were expected to do that, then I think certainly by high school, there should be an ex expectation that you're learning how to do that. Yes. You're learning how to sit through the stuff that's not exciting so that you can do the stuff that is exciting. Yes. Because you need that foundational information. And, you know, and I can bring some energy into the room. And, um, and I, I do try to, as much as possible, preface students you know, like, hey, today's topic is not super exciting, but we got to get through it so we can get to the next thing, which is a little bit more interesting. You know, yes, just I do bear, bear with me. Trust me, we will get through today. And, next time will be more interesting. And halfway through, I'm going to give you a break where I show a little <laughs> <bit of> video <laughs> of a puppy and a bunny rabbit. If you did not hear that episode. Yes. Go back. A yeah, go, anyway. go back because it's it's worth listening to. Yes. Um, <laughs> episode two, our yes. sound engineer says. Yes. Um, and I feel like we do a disservice to our students when we get caught up in this belief that every moment needs to be entertaining because it's not going to be entertaining every moment. And part of what I feel like my job is as a high school teacher, it's, I feel like maybe the, the ratios or the scales or the plans are a little bit different when you're in the second grade than when you're in the ninth, 10th, <laughs> 11th and 12th grade. But part of my job as a high school student or excuse me, as a high school teacher is to prepare students for what comes next. What comes next is being a grown up. What comes next is doing some boring stuff so that you can earn the money, have the information have the time, know who you need to know in order to be able to do the cool, fun, interesting stuff that lights you up. Yes. Sometimes you just have to get through the boring stuff. And if in high school you're never taught how to do that, because it's a skill. Being able to sit through, read through 12 pages of kind of dry stuff to get to the really good, interesting, new information, that's a skill. You don't just have the ability to do it. You have to learn how to do it. And that's my job as a teacher. I teach you algebra and I teach you how to just get through some stuff. 
Exactly. You, you got to learn how to provide your own rewards, provide your own incentives yeah. for getting through the, the dry. Uh-huh. What do you call it? The dry analysis. Yes. Of, the, okay, the dry anyway. analysis of somewhat obvious ideas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, and, and you know, you're right. That is a skill. I think my main motivator as a uh, motivation as a student in uh, school was fear of my mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily learn how to provide my own sense of reward, my own incentives uh, to to do the dry stuff. Yeah. I avoided the dry stuff. Like yeah, the well, we all I'm, do. That's human nature, I think. I'd much rather go out and party or something. Yeah. Not anymore. I just go to bed at eight. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But and, and I think that kind of ties back into that whole like periodic cyclical nature of learning. It's like you have this period of some just some dry information you know and then you've kind of set the stage maybe a little bit so you can get some more interesting information that you can kind of plug into that framework and then you get into where they're synthesizing and coming up with new ideas or generalizing and it's a little bit more interesting and exciting and they're doing more work on their own and and then you know it just cycles through like that over and over and over again and my concern with a lot of uh plans I see that you know administration has to come in and observe with an emphasis on student engagement is that they're seeing at most one lesson but they never stay for a whole class period so they're not seeing a whole lesson they're seeing and if they get there for the 10 minutes it's just we got to set up the background information for how to use this formula it's not exciting right like that's all they see and so they're like your lesson is boring well, no, you didn't stick around long enough to see how we then took that information and built on it and it made things interesting. Right. You know? Um, and I think what happens sometimes, especially for, for new teachers or greener teachers, younger teachers, is that they're afraid to have those moments of dryness, of not exciting, because if admin comes in during that time, then that's what they're judged on. So they want to make every minute exciting. Right. And it's really stressful it as is. the planner of the lesson to try to do that because some things it's just unless you're wrapping it, it's just not going to be exciting. You mean wrapping like singing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like wrapping. <laughs> I don't know education to wrap. No, no. Just like, you know, like if you're going to wrap a formula so that they can remember it, then I guess it <laughs> might make it interesting. But I don't think they're go- it's going to make them understand it anymore. True. You know, and I think maybe as teachers, we need to be a little bit more vocal about, you know, this. Yes, this part of the lesson was not exciting, but it needed to be done so that we could get to the part of the lesson that is exciting. And, you know, and maybe that it just boils down to having a conversation with the admin or the team of observers or whoever it is that's coming into your room. Like the dry stuff is important. Yeah. Yeah, and you and know, does not and uh, entertainment value does not drive that ship. No, and no. yeah, nor yeah. should it. Yeah, so. that's a very good point. Yeah, um, well, I'm glad you did the research that I just <laughs> disregarded. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. <laughs> I mean, and I feel like it's this this document is one where you could read it five times and get five new things from it because it is so so dense. There's a lot of information there, so I have a feeling it's something that I'm gonna 
definitely go back and read the second half of because that's apparently when he gets to the good stuff. <laughs> so and you've done the dry stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look at how much interesting thought I have had from the dry stuff. And a lot of that comes from this is my own internal motivation. This is something that I'm very interested in and want to learn more about. And I think there's a lot to be said. And you're for feeding that. your teacher nerd brain. Yes. Yes. I'm feeding my nerd brain and I love it. <laughs> um you know, so I definitely want to go back and read the second half of it, but that's something that I would definitely keep bookmarked and revisit, you know, as I think about what does it mean to be engaged. And that's another question that I had is what does it mean to be engaged? Oh, good one. You know, what what does that look like? When somebody's observing your classroom, you know, does that mean that just everybody has their head up and their pencil to their paper? Is that what they're looking for are they looking for lots of hands in the air and excited looks on their faces because I don't think they're going to necessarily get the second thing but if I've got the first thing I'm real happy well that is kind of an interesting point because the other part of my follow-up was uh, I just had a faculty meeting uh, where they are kind of putting this whole in you know student engagement observation thing into full effect they Uh kind of gave us the framework for it now and Uh, So I do have a, quote, rubric or, you know, a table of things that they're going to be looking for. Uh, And my intention for the sake of this podcast is I'm going to see how it goes. They want to have the first round of all these like observations. And I can give details on that later. But I would like to come back and say, here's what really happened. I talked about my apprehension about it. Uh, in the previous episode uh, about, well, great, what am I supposed to do? Juggle? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do a three-ring circus yeah. in my math classroom yeah. with the wrap. quadratic formula. Oh, yeah, I'm going to wrap the quadratic <laughs> formula. Um, and just kind of come back around and say, well, this is what really happened. Yeah. And just kind of give some reflections on that. So that was another follow-up I wanted to come and say, you know, it's in process. And yeah, I, I want to be able to you know, yeah. report on it because I think there are some benefits to it and there might be some like, eh, not so great parts. Yeah. And so you said that there's going to be like a team of people coming to observe you. Yeah. The idea, and this is how I understand it because it was just presented to me yesterday yeah. morning, um, <laughs> is that two or three people from your own department are going to visit your classroom for about 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, great. So, yeah. Well, snapshot. And look for some things that are on this quote. I won't call it a rubric because they're really emphasizing how we're not getting graded. Yeah. That it's really mainly for the observers to get their own takeaways and have a meaningful discussion afterwards. Okay. And then they'll come in, have a meaningful discussion with you about, hey, we saw this. Yeah. And if they have any ideas, they can um, throw that out. If not, it's not. Uh, And... uh, so that's what I want to kind of experience because yeah. they're going to start in a couple of weeks, I think, and yeah. they want to wrap up by the end of the third quarter. So uh, at a later date, I'll be able to bring this full circle, yeah, and well, cycle, be, yes, and Ooh, uh, there you go, <laughs> and be able to report back on it and just kind of share. Okay, here's what they define engagement as. Yeah, and, here's know. what they're looking for. Here's what they saw, and exactly. I think that piece where they come back and and have a conversation with you about it. Um, is actually a little bit encouraging to me because I feel like that then gives you the opportunity to say, yeah, I know it didn't seem exciting, but that was not the exciting part of, of the lesson. And this is what happened afterwards, right? you know, um, and to continue to have that dialogue. Um, I think that's a really important opportunity 
versus what I think happens a lot of times is that the observation happens, the notes get made, and everybody just sort of moves on. Right. You know? Right. And so you feel like, well, yeah, you saw that these this half of the room was doing something and this half of the room was doing something else, but then we all came back together and had a bigger group discussion about it or whatever. Um, and I feel like that that coming full circle doesn't always happen. So I'm really encouraged to hear that that's part of their their plan. I think they're, they're really deliberate in how they're they're setting it up. Yeah. But once again, this I think mainly came from uh, the brains of administrators. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in yeah. the actual classrooms with teachers. Yeah. yeah. I do also like that they're doing it with teachers from your own yes. discipline because I feel like what engagement looks like in a science classroom versus a social studies classroom versus a math classroom really looks different. Um, and I mean, that's my personal opinion. I'm happy to hear how I'm wrong about that, but I feel like how you go about achieving that, um, engagement and what that engagement really looks like is just a little bit different. And so it's, it's hard It'd be, I would have a hard time going into an English classroom and judging. Right. Or, you know, are your students engaged? I don't know. They're all reading from the book. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. But that's an important part of the process in an English classroom. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Very well, thank cool. Thank you. Thank you. This is very interesting. Okay. And I feel like even though I did all this research, you brought up some even oh, new points to think Are we going to do that thing where yes. we pick a topic? Or yes. actually, Brent will pick a topic. Brent will pick a topic. Pick so, a, pick a hold question. on, because we've picked some of these. So, I want to say... Pick a number between one and six. Five. Hmm. Five. Ooh, one piece of advice for a new teacher. Oh, my gosh. I was just thinking of this when you were talking about um, the observation stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll have to save this for a future episode where we talk about training for new teachers uh -huh, and uh -huh, stuff. Which will be its own whole episode, but this is one piece of advice for well a new done, teacher. Well done, Brent. Number yes. five was also my number on the volleyball team in college. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> That's where my brain goes. <laughs> my one big piece of advice to new teachers definitely falls in line with what you were saying about apprenticing with a master teacher. But uh, one of the best experiences I have ever had is when my administrator gave me a day with substitutes where I could go and see what were considered the best teachers in the school. Yes. Teach. The entire, like from beginning to end. Yes. And looking at the systems they used for entering the classroom, what the students were, were doing in the first 10 minutes, what, you know, all the transitions, all the expectations, uh, how their desks were set up, uh, what did they say, what did they not say. Um, you know, it's just so many little nuances that you can pick up just by being in a teacher's classroom for the entire block just like a fly on the wall. Yes. Uh, probably the most valuable use of a day outside of my classroom was, and I went outside my discipline. I went and saw a chemistry yeah, I teacher, remember that. an English teacher, and a history teacher. And I got something from every single one of them. Uh, chemistry, probably the most of all. Um, she's definitely a master teacher. But yes. also because that is a very math-oriented uh, science yeah. With uh, lots of equations and stuff that I got D's in in high school. But that's another story <laughs> yeah. for another time. But it's also a very <laughs> procedural kind of class, a procedural right. kind of subject, mm -hmm. much like math. So I can see how there would be a lot of parallels to right. what would work. But that was probably places. my biggest piece of advice. I got the most out of that experience. Yeah. And I will just 
reinforce that advice advice and just tell new teachers get in other classrooms as much as you can um something i love to do if i was having a day where my brain was just fried and my planning period was not going to be productive i would just go sit in another classroom and watch what was going on because i felt like it was a really excellent use of my time um and my and so i just want to reinforce that whether you get it i think the th- the plan of getting a full day with a sub to watch your class where you can, you know, pick three or four of the best teachers in your school and go watch them for a whole period is fantastic. But also, anytime, if it's 10 minutes or a whole period on your planning period, go sit in another teacher's classroom in your own discipline and others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just reinforce that. But I think... One piece of advice I have for new teachers is, um, I know, I think this is this way in a lot of schools. I know it was this way in um, the school where Natalie and I taught together, was your very first year, you are assigned a mentor teacher. And I was extremely fortunate to have a mentor teacher who was awesome. She'd been teaching for over 10 years. She was a master teacher. She and I, our personalities clicked really well. She was terrific. And I loved having that resource and it was really helpful but another resource that was really helpful was um another math teacher who was in her second year and she was a really good teacher still really green but you know a good teacher but also somebody I could go to who had just had her first year the year before and knew exactly what I was going through because I feel like my mentor teacher she'd been teaching for over 10 years and while she definitely supported me and understood what I was going through it wasn't as fresh for her so I think it was a little hard to relate to sometimes and this other the second year teacher I could just walk into her room after school and just cry about how much it sucked to be a first year teacher and she got it and having that that second year teacher to lean on who really knew what it was like to be a first year teacher um really kind of emotionally fed me a little bit and gave well, me some strength because sometimes on. you just need to be told that you're in the right place yeah you're feeling really crappy right now yeah. and but that's okay yeah this is normal yeah. this is totally normal and also it helped that she and I taught the same we both t- taught geometry so she would say yeah you know what teaching logic is tough it's right. it's a tough one the kids don't get it right away the adults don't get it later <laughs> yeah. in life yeah because they didn't get it the first time but that's a whole other topic yeah. uh but to be told that yeah this is you know also it's the week before thanksgiving break and you don't know this yet but that's a week that is worthless yes and we're also teaching a really foreign concept to them of logic so it's okay you're totally normal this is fine cry it out and then go back to work or whatever. Yeah, um, that's a good topic. And yeah. we should definitely do an episode about Yeah, I want to do a whole episode new about new teachers. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so two pieces of advice. Get into other people's classrooms. Find a really good second year teacher to to give you some, some support. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Christine. Thank you, Natalie. This has been great. <laughs>